Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. My name is Greg McDonough. It is great to be with you. My guest today is Luke Chung. He is the CEO and founder of FMS Incorporated and also a former EODC chapter president. So thank you for your service there, Luke, and a leading authority on website development and data security. Welcome, Luke Chung. Well, thank you very much, Greg. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. So I like just to jump right into things. So um, let's do that. So first question, you know, we've been... You've been on your entrepreneurial leadership journey for some time now, and I'd love to get some insights of any common misconceptions that you've seen around leadership. Well, thank you. So, you know, with regards to leadership, you know, it's a very broad area and it goes beyond just running a company, you know, how you become a leader, uh, how you um, work with other people. goes well beyond what a manager does or what somebody may do when, when they're running a company. And ultimately, leadership is about instilling uh, a team with a sense of purpose and direction mm-hmm. and making sure people understand where they're headed, um, that they're properly trained, and that everybody is uh, working together. Um, and they do it because they want to do it, because they understand the values and they understand what's going on. I actually learned uh, about this um, right when I graduated from high school. I went to a conference. I grew up in Florida. I went to a conference in Dallas, Texas, where they had a, a group of high school uh, seniors. And one of the speakers there was the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry. And he gave a talk about as a, how, as a Washington football fan, I'm not sure I like where this is going, but <laughs> c- please continue. <laughs> yes, well, you know, his record speaks for itself and we yeah, can contrast true. leadership styles. So obviously very successful. And um, he actually gave a very interesting discussion about leadership and how it applied, not just as a coach, but in life. And he started out by saying, you know, well, let, let's take a step back. Tom Landry is old school, hat, coat and tie, arms crossed through the whole game, didn't smile, didn't laugh, didn't yell at people, just stood there. And uh, that was his persona, you know, and we can contrast this. And he, he later did contrast it to the, the late John Madden, who was on the other side of the field, very emotional, going crazy, yelling at people, yelling at the refs and so on. And both were great leaders, uh, as their records would show. And so uh, his style, as he mentioned, was there's a difference between a a good coach, a better coach, and a great coach. Mm -hmm. He said a good coach is someone who trains their people. They plan the six days before the game. Everything is ready. They know what place to call. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do when the play is called, right? Every, that's the responsibility of a good coach. You call in a play, everybody executes the way they're supposed to, minimum level. Right. And um, then the next level is a better coach. And a better coach is someone who can call in a play and their players are trained so that they see the environment has changed 
and they are able to recognize that uh, and are empowered to call an audible. Something that the coach didn't call in because they're closer to the data, they see it, and the audible they call is exactly what the coach has trained them to do. Sure. Change your plan, go for it. He says a great coach is someone who can train their players so that they call an audible the coach wouldn't call. Well, interesting. They see data that is on the other side of the field and uh, uh, are, are, uh, know they can make that call. And he said, you know, I sometimes you'd stay on the side of the field, see the play change. Roger Stahlbach, the quarterback, would make an audible. It's like, yes, perfect. You have to do that because the defense shifted, right? And then other times, like, why is he making that call? I wouldn't make that call. And that's because he sees something on the other side of the field that I can't see from my side of the field. And he knows that's what should be called at that time. And then he said, uh, so, so, so part of that is creating an environment where your people are empowered to do that and know that they're allowed to do that. They can overrule you because they understand what the end game is. And he said, well, you know, we're going to play games and Roger Staubach's going to throw interceptions from time to time. I don't need to yell at Roger when he's coming out the field that that was a bad play. Roger knows that was a bad play. That's right. You know, if he doesn't know that's a bad play, yelling at him in the middle of the game is not going to solve that problem. That's a much bigger problem <laughs> that should have been handled in practice. Um which is the time you can get emotional and, you know, go crazy and, and, and make sure that people understand what's going on. But by game time, by the time you're ready to play, you better be ready to play. Right, um, right. And emotion shouldn't be part of it because it messes up your, your, um, your, your thinking process. The, which, the thing which... that he added to that is we could solve the interception problem. We can solve the interception problem by not throwing the ball. <laughs> we won't win any games. But we won't solve, we, we won't have interceptions. Right. So it's very important to make sure whatever objectives you have or values you have are such that um, you still win the game. You have to accept you're going to get a non zero percent uh, number of interceptions when you throw the ball. And that's just part of that. And you have to accept. And that's the same thing whether you're dealing with a football team or dealing with. Uh, uh, managing people on your um, uh, company or even your family and kids. You know, you want to inspire people to be able to make the right decisions in new environments that you or they have never seen before. And then when they make mistakes, you have to look back and say, okay, why did that mistake occur? Did that mistake occur because uh, they didn't make the right decision at that point, and therefore they learned so that if that situation arose again, they wouldn't make the right decision. Did that mistake occur because we had a certain process in place and they just didn't do it? Was that a problem because uh, they weren't trained properly, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, but we already know how to do it. They didn't recognize the problem. They didn't apply what we already learned. Or is the problem much further upstream, which is a value problem? like? They have certain values that are just not correct. Uh, and I, we don't have to get to it. It's moral values or anything. It doesn't have to be that, that deep. But if somebody gets into a situation, they make that mistake, and you rewind and play it again, and they make the same mistake, mm -hmm. meaning that they didn't even learn. It could be driven because the values are wrong. 
fixing values very different from training a particular task. And that's that's the same whether it's a, a child or or uh, um, an employee or a team member. That's fascinating. I, I love that insight, uh, Luke. You know, I'd love to jump back a little bit and talk about, you know, that's that's scary stuff, right? As a business owner, as a parent, as a community member, it's difficult to let go and watch mistakes happen or, or, or you know, see my, my four-year-old wanting to touch the stove and you want to pull them back because they're going to burn themselves, or do you let them learn that the stove is hot and they shouldn't do it? So at some point in your life, you have to let that go, you know, that, that parenting aspect. And I'd love to know, like, what point in your life did that occur? Like in your business journey and your family journey that you realized that, hey, this is the time that I need to let my son or daughter or my employee or whoever make that mistake. Like, what was the transition? Because as, as an entrepreneur, right, we want to have our hands and control and we know the outcome because we're always right, right? <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about that. Like when over your lifespan so far, like when did you make that realization that, hey, now is the time for me to step back and just watch this small train wreck happen versus the bigger train wreck down the, down the road? Right. I mean, I think for me, the, the learning that I had from um, Coach Tom Landry's discussions was that there was going to be a non-zero percent chance of mistakes mm. and that I have to accept that. And that if I'm expecting 100 percent accurate or success, it's just unrealistic. And it's not necessary to win the game, the bigger objective. And so um, what we want to do, lots of people talk about entrepreneurship, about, you know, taking risks and, you know, hitting home runs and aren't comfortable with the strikeouts, the losses that are, you know, tied to that kind of attempt and holding, you know, people accountable for negative outcomes when they were doing their best based on the structure that was in place, right? So mm -hmm. what I've learned over the years, and I've been in business, I guess it's my 35th year, is that if there's something that fails, we want to go back and find out why it failed, right? And, and look back on, well, do we have a process in place? Because frankly, what I like to be able to do uh, in, in the whole area of delegations, as you mentioned there, is I, I think I should be responsible for defining the processes. And then other people should be responsible for executing those. Mm -hmm. And if I or my team haven't come up with a process for a particular situation, meaning ultimately we never thought about it, how can we expect somebody to deal with an issue that has never been confronted before? Um, and how do we hold them responsible for bad outcomes for that? That's, that's totally unfair. Certainly. Right? So, so what we want to be able to do is define that. I totally accept full responsibility for anything that we've never seen before. I got it. You did your best. We lost X dollars. We missed an opportunity, whatever. That's fine. You know, what did we learn from it? How would we handle it differently? So if the same thing arose again, we would respond differently. And frankly, even after the fact, we may not know how we should have responded. 
So it's really unfair to hold somebody again because it's usually not binary. There are probably 10 different choices somebody could have made at a particular situation. Sure. Um, and so, so that has helped me clarify uh, what's, what I'm supposed to be able to do and the comfort of delegating to other people things that are structured in a way that allows them to win and not feel that they're going to lose. And at the same time, if they uh, have to go beyond something that isn't defined, they're empowered to do that to the best of their ability. Sure, sure. And then tying it back to the Tom Landry example, right? The playbook is the process and the execution is stallback behind the center about taking about to take the snap, right? right. Um, do you think, and going back to the comment you made about the late John Madden, is his was his leadership style similar in that way, or where did you see them as as different executors or different process or like how they came up with the playbook, or right. did you see similar leadership styles but just different personalities on the sideline? What Tom Landry would say first would agree totally different personalities and a great deal of respect for uh, John Mann's uh, accomplishments. It just wasn't his style. And, and mm. he, he described it as, you know, all the work needs to happen in practice, in training. If, you're, if you get emotional during game, it means you failed in the six days prior. Interesting. And that that wasn't the way to, to manage that. He didn't feel he got the best out of his team uh, doing that. Now, that said, a stare down from Tom Landry as you came off the field was probably just as effective as right. uh, John Mann yelling at you. So, uh, you know, I think the message still gets across. It's just a very different style, a different set of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, actions, but expectations were probably very similar. That's right. Yeah, I still have visions of the, the TV panning during a Washington Dallas game and you just see his hat and you know like everything just changes right I mean that was part of his his image and his brand that's awesome so let's let's shift focus a little bit um you know Luke you just mentioned this is your 35th year in business you've been the CEO and founder for many many years um what do you do to stay on top of your game well I think part of being uh, able to sustain an organization over time or, or me personally in it is to make sure that the objectives or things that I find important are instilled in my organization and what I do day to day. And ultimately, I've been very fortunate to have a successful company doing the things I love. And mm. one of the areas that I do love is being able to create new things, cre create things that help people, help organizations do something that they've never done before. And so my software company has created a wide range of products uh, and services, solutions um, to help organizations both domestically and internationally solve challenging problems when it comes to managing data, uh, editing data and analyzing data. And whether it's on the PC or the web or the cloud, I mean, I've evolved through through decades of this, seeing lots of ups and downs in both technology and economic cycles um, to be able to apply those to real world problems. is very rewarding, personally. Mm -hmm. 
And I've always felt that as an organization, if we can help um, people uh, address those challenges, um, the finances will take care of themselves. Interesting. Um, and, and so that's from the, the business perspective. How about from the, your personal perspective? You know, what do you do to kind of keep your mental sharpness, your health, your, you know, because it's lonely up top up here at the top at, at times, you know, on, on this so-called pyramid. But I'd love to understand, you know, what's Luke Chung's secret to, you know, still coming to the office and, and having a smile on his face and being innovative and leading and, and talk to me a little bit about that. Well, one of the things that has really helped me over the years is joining the entrepreneurs organization. At the time, it was a young entrepreneurs organization um, 24 years ago. And I remember it was 24 years ago because I joined when my oldest daughter was a week old and now she's 24. Um, <laughs> And a PhD student uh, you know, in graduate school. So it's been a long journey <laughs> through that. And um, I think that, you know, being around other business owners, being around other uh, uh, fathers, mothers, um, has helped me be a much better um, business owner, has helped me be a much better spouse, um, father, friend, son, um, all those kinds of things, because I have learned from other people the things that work for them, the things that don't, um, in a, a very safe and confidential uh, environment uh, that helps me grow, not just as a business person, um, but as a, as a human being. And I think part of that has also allowed me to be comfortable with um, balancing work-life um, which is always a challenge or family mm -hmm. and business, um, which people have to ultimately come to, to grapple with um, when you have so many choices to focus your time. Sure, sure. It's, you know, over that 24 year period, you've probably seen what two, maybe three bubbles burst, right? You've got the dot coms, you had the 08, you've got all this economic, we're in one now, right? This uncertainty. Um, and it's interesting of, of having an organization and a peer group and some, some people that you can count on to be next to you when you're going through those tough times or the hard times, or you don't, or there is a lot of unknown. Um, so I, I suspect that group, the entrepreneurs organization has really helped on the highs and the lows. Yes, absolutely. Uh, being around other people who are sharing similar experiences, not necessarily in my industry, but uh, being um, essentially people who get it and uh, who have had their own highs and lows. I've learned that, uh, you know, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems, at least in my experience. And it has allowed me to uh, venture forth um, with that positivity or perspective, I should say, on um, what's really uh, terrible versus what I may feel is terrible today. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, on, on the low end. And then to not get too cocky on the high end um, because <laughs> things can change in a minute. Oh, As yeah. a small business, I mean, I've told and I've known, uh, I had my business for 10 years before I joined YEO at the time. Um, was that, 
you know, we're, we're small business. So that means we're one big contract away from a great year and one big contract away from a terrible year. I mean, things Certainly. can change very quickly. Lots of things are within our control. Um, it's not like we're Procter and Gamble, you know, selling detergent and reliant on the number of people that live in the U.S., you know, which grows at one or two percent a year. We're doing things that we can control. We could grow our company 100 percent in a year. We could decline by 50 percent. There are certain decisions that we may or may not do or execute properly that could swing that very easily. Certainly. Certainly. That's great insight. Thank you. Um, you know, just switching topics a little bit more. I'm, I'm a big believer in connecting the dots. Right. And there's many times in my life that I, I now look back and say, oh, of course that made sense. Right. It's a straight line. But when I was in that moment, you know, thinking back, it was this random walk. And I'd love to hear if you have similar experiences or you have an example of an experience like that where you're, you're sitting there in the moment going, why am I here? And then fast forward four or five years, it's like, of course, that's why I, that's exactly where I should have been at that time. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh, experiences over the year. My, my company, you know, started in 1987 when uh, I came up with the idea that PCs could be used for business, uh, which was kind of a revolutionary idea at the time because people looked at PCs as toys. Um, mm. You know, that may be what their secretary used, but it really wasn't used for business. And I was on the forefront of managing data at the time, small amounts of data on PCs, but could tell as time was passing that there would be more and more power on the PCs that would eclipse um, the mini computer market, which completely disappeared and uh, you know grow over time. And that's how we started. We were in the DOS era, had a bunch of products, our platform called Paradox, which was a DOS-based platform with Borland. And then Windows came along uh, with Microsoft. They came out with a database called Access. Um, and I was at a trade conference, Comdex, in Las Vegas, where Bill Gates debuted that product. And at that moment, I saw that and said, wow, this is so much better than uh, what we're doing with our current partner, Borland, um, that we need to make that transition. Um, I almost got on the plane that afternoon to leave um, uh, Vegas uh, to make that uh, change in our organization because we were behind. Um, uh, you know, within a few months or within a year, uh, my team came up with a bunch of products uh, or, or, or skills to be able to support that. We released a product that then um, uh, called Total Access. Uh, analyzer that that helped people within that community, and we grew to be the number one Microsoft Access third-party vendor. Um, and now we have over fifty thousand customers in over a hundred countries that we've supported on a technology platform that's lasted, gosh, uh, almost thirty years, which is unbelievable for a uh, platform. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, another uh, turning point happened in my company after 9-11, you know, and of course the tragedy of 9-11 um, with the Pentagon here nearby. I remember seeing the smoke rise from the Pentagon from my office building that morning. I did too. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, 
soon following that, people are like, oh, we knew these people were in the country, various government agencies knew about it, um, but we couldn't connect the dots, like you mentioned. That became mm -hmm. a very common statement. And my team and I were like, well, we analyze data. We know how to connect the dots. We should be able to apply the knowledge and technology that we have to make those connections. And we built a prototype uh, totally unrelated to our uh, existing business. Uh, it, was, it managed lots of data and could look for hidden relationships among people, places, and events. And uh, then we pitched it to some of the local government agencies uh, because of friends and family that we know, you know, about how we would approach this situation. Uh, but we were very naive because we weren't a government contractor. We didn't know how the, uh, the security system worked, you know, the classified world in the in the US. And we, we were like, well, you know, this is nice, number one. Number two, you're not on a government schedule. So even if I wanted, I couldn't buy it. And number three, you don't have clearance. Who let you in my room? Get out of here. <laughs> so uh, it took us a while to figure that out. But eventually we had a solid prototype, reached out to more people, created a product called Sentinel Visualizer, and ended up getting an investment from InQtel, which is the CIA's venture capital mm -hmm. arm. So we're part of that family. And as a result of that, we've been able to evolve that product now over 15 years um, to be used in a non-classified environment uh, with customers, again, all around the world, uh, primarily government, state and local in the US, some federal, and then uh, other government agencies, both at like the UN level and also at uh, individual countries. It's all a matter, matter of helping people maximize the value of their data to keep um, citizens safer. Certainly, certainly. Um, it certainly sounds, and, and your history is showing that you've been a, a visionary and had your finger on the pulse of what other people haven't seen coming. So the, the question that leads me into, like, what are you excited about? What excites you about the future now? Like, what are you, what are you seeing? What do you, where do you think the next opportunity is? What, what gets you energized about the future? Well, with the future, I think there, there are two tacks here in terms of where I think things are going or what's important to me. Um, so at this stage, uh, my, my two daughters are out of the house, so we have an empty nest. So there was a period of just, uh, you know, making sure I spent time with them um, and, and we've passed that. So, so that was a, a, a major milestone, uh, although COVID sent them back home uh, for a year. Uh, which we loved, but they hated because you know they had to stay at home and couldn't see their friends who were nearby. Um, but uh, I think we're getting through that. But uh, still, um, I'm at a different stage of my life with regards to, to family. Um, with regards to business, uh, I've done well. I'm really you know, concerned and, and passionate about making sure uh, the people on my team have good careers, good lives, and we create opportunities for them so that they can take care of their families and their mortgages and their tuition bills and everything else that they want to do with their life, their retirement and so on. Um, so that's a, a high priority for me. And in terms of taking care of our customers, we have a wide range of customers and I love engaging with them to understand you know, what they're dealing with and, and the, the opportunities that they're creating for their own people, the people they serve, um, whether it's in the commercial area, whether it's in 
um, maybe some uh, human services or government related areas, or in you know the, the, some of the work that we're doing in law enforcement and counterterrorism. Um, uh, those you know there 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 are some some really bad people out there doing terrible things to um, people who don't deserve it. And and you know if there's anything I can do to to help uh, people who goodness gracious risk their lives much more than I Certainly. do. I just sit behind a computer. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to help. Um, and uh, uh, and if we can do that in a way that is uh, moral. Right? Because there is obviously huge misuse of data that can be done to trample on people's uh, rights. Um, we want to make sure we're on the correct side of that. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. So let's let's step back a little bit um, and talk about your background. Like, I'd love the audience would love to know where you grew up, what, how you got to be where you are today. Like, take us through the the, the quick journey of of Luke Chung's life. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my parents are immigrants from Taiwan, and I was born in New York, uh, grew up there for a few years, moved to Philadelphia, but primarily grew up in Florida, in the Orlando and Sarasota areas from like fourth grade on, graduated from high school uh, down there. Um, and so uh, uh, that was a uh, immigrant child experience. Um, uh, but it was a, uh, I didn't really live in Asian communities. Like my house was the Chinatown of the town. Um, so there wasn't a, uh, a, a real connection to, to that side of the culture. Um, but uh, I ended up uh, graduating from college, went to Harvard, uh, spent four years there, was pursuing a degree in engineering, uh, and ended up in studying oceanography. So I ended up studying uh, physical oceanography, got a master's in that, and at the time was doing some research funded by the Office of Naval Research in predicting ocean weather, essentially, currents, speeds, where they went. Um, did a did a summer project at the off, uh, Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, and went up and down the Oregon, California coast uh, where I proceeded to vomit up and down the Oregon, California <laughs> coast, because the ocean is really big and the waves can be really big. And I have a very good stomach. I was literally the last man standing in the scientific group, but I decided that probably wasn't a good career path uh, for me. So talk about going of, with your gut feel, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there was, you know, there, there are higher powers telling me that that may not be the direction I should go. Uh, so I ended up uh, getting a management consulting job. Uh, that there were recruiters on campus. It was one of those traditional do it for two years, uh, work like a dog, and then go to business school path. And so I did that. I got a job in Washington, D.C. at a company called Strategic Planning Associates. Uh, they no longer exist, but they were a strategic planning company kind of uh, the founder was uh, a former Boston Consulting Group guy and doing commercial work, no government work. It's all commercial work and learned a lot about um, uh, business strategy, how their Fortune 100, 500 type company uh, clients were working and uh, how to use data to help make better decisions. And it was from that after two years that I saw the opportunity 
to apply that in a potential business that was focused completely on using data for business decision making that I started uh, FMS, which was originally called Financial Modeling Specialist. And I decided, oh, I'll give it a year. And if it doesn't work, I'll come up with another plan and be a good corporate soldier the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> so fortunately, uh, uh, I haven't had to do that yet. So uh, every year, you never know. <laughs> could right. be the year. Go back and get my business degree or whatever degree. Um, but so far, it's worked out. Uh, and and I, I met a lot of uh, very interesting people there. Um, ended up working with two people that uh, uh, Nigel Morris and Rich Fairbank, who ended up creating Capital One, uh, mm-hmm. and so some other people who ended up doing lots of different uh, things uh, in the corporate world. Um, so it was all very good. You know, That's and awesome. then from there, I started my business. Well, that was in '87, and, and have been doing that as as I mentioned. The company has evolved in lots of different ways over those years. Yeah, sure. Yeah, one of the fun things about hosting a podcast is you you spend a lot of time googling your ho- your guests and i i googled luke chung right and you've had quite the media exposure from a handful of different things any uh story there you want to share well my media experience has been quite fascinating because it came along rather unexpectedly i mean within my uh, technology community. I've gone and, and spoken at conferences and, and written blogs and uh, participated in discussions that were very IT focused. Um, but uh, 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 in the 2007 timeframe, I ended up at a EO entrepreneur organization conference up in New Jersey, where I sat in on a couple of talks where I, uh, presenters were giving information on how to, number one, deal with social media, amplify your message through social media, write blogs, uh, come participate in blogs or discussion groups online. Uh, and then another presentation on um, media training, how to deal with TV media, how to deal with reporters, things like that. And when I was sitting in those sessions, I was thinking, wow, this is a complete waste of time. I have never <laughs> dealt with TV media in my 20 plus years at that point. Um, I should be down at the craps table. I really, you know, this is a waste of an hour of my life. Well, lo and behold, uh, a week later, the healthcare.gov website debuted. And when that happened, I went on the website because I wanted to see what their prices were compared to what I had to buy uh, health insurance for our people. I went on the website and discovered that the website was awful, technologically awful. And so based on what I learned the week prior, I was like, oh, I should write a blog about this. So I wrote a blog post about how it was a, a technology disaster, really just for my little community. And what I didn't realize was as I got into discussions with other people, as I you know, tweeted about it and, and, and commented on other people discussing it, I uh, uh, came to realize that I was one of the few people who were talking about the website from a technology perspective. There were a lot of people who were against the website because they didn't like the administration. There were a lot of people who were saying that the website was great, just had a few hiccups because there were so many people that wanted it. Um, and I was like, well, you know, this thing isn't going to work with two people on it because it's just written by people that don't know what they're doing. Because I could tell from a technology perspective how poorly written the website was. 
um, and how, how you know why it crashed and 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 the 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 wrong order that they had placed things and so on. Anyway, so the blog went viral, which I had never experienced before. And then within a week, all of a sudden on one day, I got quoted in the New York Times and Forbes on the same morning, which wow. was unbelievable. And then everything blew up after that. I had um, the CBS news crew come into my office that day. We did a filming. I aired on the CBS national news the next morning. That led to a call from Wolf Blitzer's team on CNN, uh, who showed up in my uh, office uh, later that afternoon. Uh, and, and then I was on uh, their show the next day. I got called in by Fox. I got called in by the House Energy and Commerce Committee to meet with them to explain to them why I could tell that uh, the, the website was a mess in the first hour um, when they couldn't figure it out after dealing with it for three years. And then um, it led to even more issues with regards to other media appearances where I was the technology guy and I was very careful to not get into the political side of things about being That's able fine. to discuss what was wrong with the website, what was wrong with government contracting, what were the things that led to that kind of fiasco and the huge waste of money uh, that was entailed uh, accompanying that. And it was it was a, a circus. It was a circus, but it was a fun ride. It was a fun yeah, ride. At least right? nobody was attacking me. You know, you know I was, I was involved in the project. Um, I could just kind of view it from the outside, but it was pretty obvious. I was reading through the blog, your the original blog that went viral yesterday, and then I started going through the comments. And one thing I noticed that you responded to every comment, which I thought was amazing. But what was really ironic for me is I was running a company at the time, and one of my IT people was one of the commentator made one of the comments, and like I recognized the name, and like it just brought back this flashback for me that. Like, shouldn't you have been working instead of commenting on this blog? <laughs> well, so speaking of, of social media, Luke, where could people find you? Like, are you a LinkedIn guy, a Twitter guy, a Facebook? Like, where like, someone from our audience wants to learn more about Luke other than just Googling, um, what's your preferred sort of social media path? My, uh, probably LinkedIn would be the most appropriate for this audience. Uh, mm -hmm. My LinkedIn's just Luke Chung, L-U-K-E-C-H-U-N-G. Um, can connect there. Obviously, we can have email um, communications after that, um, and and would be happy to do that. Awesome. And where, what's their main blog site? My as uh, blog.fmsinc.com. So our uh, my main original business is fmsinc.com. Um, the stuff that we're doing in the law enforcement counterterrorism space is uh, sentinelvisualizer.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Luke, thanks for being with us today. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation, especially around your empowering your team and your consideration for their wellness and livelihood as an entrepreneur and a business owner, right? That's to me sort of a different phase of, of life and progress where like when we first start, our, start out our businesses, it's all about drive and getting things done. And then I think as we mature, we also start really caring about the people who work for us and the people that work for them. And you start thinking about legacy and, and we've touched on that today. And I, I really appreciate, you know, your openness um, around that topic. And I found it to be insightful. 
Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed having the conversation with you as well. Awesome. And and for those of you in the audience, um, you know, feel free to, to reach out to to me um, or to Luke about this topic. If you if you know of somebody that would be a good guest, I would love to hear from you there. Um, anyway, so I'll, then I'll close out today. Luke, again, it was great to have you on the uh, Impactful Leadership Show. This is Greg McDonough, and I hope you guys have a healthy and safe day. And Take that's care. a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.